Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode 12 of the official Pelicans podcast for HoopBall.com. We're providing in-flight insight for all Pella fans. I'm your host, Nick Garisco, and I'm here with Pelicans expert, Michael Pelichet. You can find him at Mike underscore Pelicans on Twitter. I'm at Fantasy Law Guy. And hey, while you're at it, if you like what you hear today, please subscribe to this pod and give us a great rating on your preferred podcast provider. We have a great show today. The Lakers game really gave us a ton of material to discuss. And Michael, I kind of want to go in order here. I want to go in order of the timeline of events because there was a lot that actually happened before this game leading up to it. And I'm even talking about, of course, I'm talking about dating back to the summer when we had this massive trade that involved, obviously, the Anthony Davis saga. We had Brandon Ingram come here, Lonzo Ball come here, Josh Hart come here. So there's already a little bit of, I wouldn't say tension, but I would say potentially bad blood with AD. And there was a lot of familiarity between the teams. And even the Lakers and Pelicans fans, the Pella fans, as we like to say, have kind of been getting into it on Twitter, and they've been kind of intertwined all offseason. So there was it was an interesting buildup to this game, and what made it even more, I would say, intriguing was that days before the game, I think it was two days before the game, uh, ESPN reporter Ramona Shelburne uh, suggested that the backlash towards AD was not how he left, not that whole saga, but she suggested that it was racially motivated. Uh, she did later apologize, but I want to read this quote here real quick, and then I want to get your take on it. Okay, her, her quote exactly, and this was on ESPN Los Angeles's Mason and Ireland show, where she said, part of the reason why New Orleans didn't want to trade him for so long is because they couldn't get fair value for him. But I think that the idea that a black agent was telling, uh, not asking, but telling the team you should trade him, that wasn't going to sit over well in New Orleans, especially with, I don't want to say that fan base, but you're down in the South, man. This was very charged. And I think when things get ugly emotionally like that, it's not just about what's going on on the court. It's, uh, sorry, it's, yeah, not just about what's going on the court. It's not just about the moves being made. So here, Shelbourne really suggested and basically said that a lot of the backlash here was racially motivated towards a black agent because a black agent, Rich Paul, was kind of demanding, not asking, that Anthony Davis should be traded. Michael, what was your take when you initially saw this? Uh, I don't like the curse on the podcast, but it's bullshit. I mean, the whole thing, like Ramona taking that stance was it's crazy. I thought it was, it was crazy. And I think like 
what bothered me is, look, if we go back to even our podcast and what we were talking about at the time of the trade request and everything, look, Davis is a professional. The way the NBA is set up is basically if you're a superstar, most of the time you're controlled for seven or eight years through the contract structure that the NBA implements, right? Like they are, the owners don't want to have these great players who can just jet after four or five years in a small market. So they set it up in a way that incentivizes people to stay through two contracts. And that's what happened. And, and look, Davis was a great player here. Davis clearly deserved a better roster around him, a roster that we did not give them, give him based on a variety of mistakes that we've made. So like, I completely understood Davis wanting to leave. I thought the way that he handled it was pretty immature. I thought that, you know, I think one of the worst things about the whole situation was that after the trade request, which again, I don't, I don't fault him for it. I really don't. I would say that he, he forced us to play him. And we talked about this. If he had gotten hurt, that would have killed our trade value. So there's nothing wrong with him doing what was in his self-interest. It was him forcing the NBA to force us to play him through his agent, probably Rich Paul. And so all of that, it was just like she kind of just took – look, you and I both know we grew up in the South. Like There is racism there. Like that's not – she's not wrong acknowledging the racism. It's just that the racism wasn't why people were upset. It was his immaturity through the process. And right. I, yeah. I actually wanted to bring that up uh, even a little later on, but let's go jump into it right now. I mean, we're both from the South here. Um, and But New Orleans, though, that's the interesting part about it. If somebody's going to accuse the South or a lot of people in the South being somewhat racist, now I'm not going to say the South as a whole because you're not going to describe the entire uh, population here, but obviously there's more racism in the South. I think people know that and people understand it. But Ramona's really making a giant leap here if she's going to say that New Orleans, of all cities, is racist. That's like saying Atlanta or New Orleans. I mean, if there's any two cities, I would say, that in the South that aren't racist, New Orleans and Atlanta is going to be one of those. And I, I, I just think it's crazy because, gosh, New I mean, when I first saw it, I, I kind of texted my friends sarcastically. I was like, Oh, wow. I, I didn't realize New Orleans was so racist, you know, with an eye roll emoji there. And I was just like, it's just very interesting that she was going to go call New Orleans out like that. And I don't think, I mean, I would venture to say, I'll take a giant leap here. And I would venture to say that she has not probably been in New Orleans very much in her, in her career. Because I just can't imagine somebody getting that stereotype of New Orleans. I see it for the South, and I'm not going to... Blame her if that's how she feels about the South. That's fine. There's obviously a lot of work to be done on the racism spectrum down here. However, I've just never gotten that vibe from New Orleans at all. And you live there right now. I lived there for four years when I was at Tulane Law. And there's just no—I just never got that. I mean, New Orleans loves black history. I mean, it's just— Loves it. Dating back to jazz. I mean, there's all kinds of famous icons here, African-American icons. And even now today, it's it's almost like suggesting, you know, why would New Orleans love guys like Drew Holiday or Michael Thomas? I mean, it just really doesn't seem like it's in New Orleans' MO at all. And that's what I found most disturbing about the quote. Not the fact that she's saying that we're, it's down south. But the New Orleans fan base that that really uh, that really kind of grounded my gears. She well, she got blowback from like everybody. Right, it was course. kind of it. It's very rare. Like I feel like on Twitter, I, there's certainly, and I think in a lot of social media, there's a tendency towards like sort of crowd 
I don't know how to even say it. There's definitely the mob a word for of the it, crowd. Like, like yeah. the mob, like the mom creating mob an opinion, yeah. and then every slowly like to like one specific kind of view. Um, but this one was kind of immediate. It was like this is wrong. This is not yeah. like this is not. It was not a racism issue. Like the the reason that people were upset, that people would be upset regardless of any star wanting to leave. And I think part of it is unfair. And I think sometimes stars certainly feel. I guess the the effects of that of, of people basically having these like this loyalty expectation of stars that they don't even give to other players who who get hurt and aren't what they used to be and all that stuff. So it's completely unfair. I think fans can be ridiculous, but like the racism was not the issue here. The, the issue was that Davis forced his way out. The Lakers are trying to force us to make the trade. And like, cause, and, and we didn't, we weren't going to get fair value for him. So they yeah. wound up giving us way more proving our point that we could get more value for him. Um, David Griffin orchestrated that trade, and we all wound up with what we wanted. Like and the, the Pelicans got an amazing of, haul. Yeah, and they did. And it's also speaking of amazing haul, you know, it reminds me of the "That's a Haul, folks," which stemmed from "That's you know, that's all, folks." And there was a little bit of pettiness here with that leave. I know Anthony Davis didn't give kind of the tribute to New Orleans that a lot of fans kind of wanted, or the send off, I, I should say. And there was also you mentioned. You mentioned it perfectly when you said it was just really awkward down the stretch. It's kind of seemed like after the first even quarter of the year that the season was tanked because of Anthony Davis's kind of mindset and because, you know, he wasn't really going to try. So if you don't have your really star trying, then uh, a lot of the other teammates really didn't know what to do there. So, of course, there was the build up to this, but it ended a little bit of pettiness, right? Yeah, I mean the shirt that he wore that said "That's all, folks." That was really petty to me. And again, like I don't, I don't fault him for wanting to leave. Like this is understandable. It was more of how he handled it and expecting. Like he did do a lot for this city. So like I don't want to sit here and lambast him because he he wanted to leave for somewhere better. There's nothing wrong with that. It was just the way that he handled it was just immature and that that's okay like he's he's still 24 25 like i there are a lot of things that i would go back and change about what i said and did at 24 and 25 so there's a lot of things i would change about what i said at age 29 (laughs) so which is what i am right now so we're so critical like we uh, it's not we don't need to paint this picture of davis as like this awful person like let's just acknowledge that he went somewhere that was better for him he should have and we should have traded him, and we also should have waited for the right kind of offer, and we did, and everything unfolded the way that it should have. It almost so, seems like these stars, when they leave, like I actually don't have a problem, like you said, I actually don't have a problem with the stars leaving uh, the town. That's just the nature of sports today. Very rare do you find these Tim Duncan-like guys where they stay with the same team their entire career. And it's just the, it's not just the nature, but it's also just the way free agency and contracts work now. Like a lot of these sports back in the day when our parents were growing up, they didn't have, you know, so much movement between teams because, you know, they didn't have really salary caps and stuff like that. So, so now we're seeing it more, but I guess my point that I'm trying to make is it almost seems like what's more important to the fan base is how the star ends up leaving. Like what, like, LeBron, for example, when he went to Miami and he held held this gigantic show about it, and it was just this whole um, charade, I should say. I shouldn't say charade, but it, this whole celebration and uh, ESPN aired like a decision show, and then he 
obviously had the quotes of it's not one, not two, you know, went up to like seven championships or whatever he did. Now it seems like the way that the stars leave is kind of what irks fans the most. I think so. And and ultimately what I even wrote an article about this, the article was complete fluff. Like it was, <laughs> it was an article about how we shouldn't, because Ingram's article came out the same day. The one that Miran Fodder wrote for, uh, I can't, I think it was Bleacher Report. And yeah, it's a really it good article of Brandon Ingram, the, the person. And I was thinking, you know, like I'm so wrapped up and I, I really was getting angry about all the stuff with Shelburne and, and Davis and all that stuff. And it's like, you know, why are we so focused on someone who is gone? Like, why do we need to, it is a thing. I'm not going to deny that it's a thing, but like, we also have a lot of really good stuff to look forward to. And I, I just don't personally, like, I don't want to, I don't want to miss out on the good things that we can witness and watch. And because of a you know, grudge, like, because yeah. of, because of a grudge against Davis, like we're going to be watching what the Lakers do for multiple reasons, like how, you know, Davis winds up winning a championship or doesn't. And also because we have so much investment through the picks that we have from the Lakers. So, of course. but like, let's not, I just don't, I think it's stupid. Like I, I don't want to like, so it's like, it kind of takes away from the moment kind of right now, or at I, least I watching us develop. If you dwell, I think if you dwell on it, it does. And I, and I don't think that we should do that. So like it passed, it's done. Can we just enjoy what we're seeing? That is good. Like we're not that far out of, of eighth place. Like this is still possible that we make the playoffs. Like, why don't we focus on what we have instead of what we don't? Yeah. I want to get in. We're definitely going to get into the game and there's so much to talk about the game and there's so much to talk. And we can also talk about the playoff race later, of course, uh, I want to mention to the audience, though, that it's worth noting that Anthony Davis actually came out here. This is again, this is still prior to the game, you know, that we're talking here. Um, you know, I've always respected Ramona Shelburne. I've never really seen her make any comments like this. She's always like when she's on ESPN. You know, I listen, I respect her. Uh, this seems way out of line, and I think it was so much out of line that and out of her character, it seemed like a very kind of, I don't know not to drop any names, but it seems like something, you know, they'd say on first take to just get headlines, you know, but it's, it's unlike her. And Anthony Davis actually had something to say about it too. He was asked about it. And he said, uh, when he was asked if the booing that he expects to face in new Orleans is rooted in racism, he said, no, no, um, not at all. And then after that, a day later, Ramona actually apologized for it. And she said, um, since my appearance on LA radio Tuesday, I've spoken to many people and now realize that I inappropriately oversimplified a very complicated and emotional situation. Um, she said in a statement, she said that in a statement mailed to NOLA.com. I sincerely apologize for that mistake and to the city of New Orleans. So pretty solid apology. I would say, I definitely think she regrets what she said. I think it was a dumb thing to say. I mean, there's no getting around that, but, uh, it just kind of really heated up even what was going to be an emotional and intense kind of homecoming for AD anyway. So before we even get to the game, there was more stuff after this that happened because after this, um, the Pelicans announced that there was no tribute video to, that was going to be played prior to the game for AD. And he played here for seven seasons, and he was an all-star. And I get that things left on uh, not ideal terms, bad terms, I should say, I, I would say, for the vast majority of the Pella fans out there. Um, I get that there's bad blood. But did you think that 
uh, and you can kind of tell how I feel about this based on the phrasing of my question here, but did you think that it was overkill to not have a tribute video for Anthony Davis? Uh, I'll just bluntly say it. I did. I thought that that, I thought there should have been a video, but what, what were your thoughts on it? So I want to hear more from what you have to say, because I'm not like I don't have a strong opinion either way at the moment. So so tell me, give me your argument for because obviously that's your your stance. I just I just never have heard of a situation where a guy, you know, he's drafted number one. He's your franchise changer, kind of like Zion Williamson is supposed to be now. And and he plays for seven years. Now, did we accomplish as much as a team as we wanted to during the seven years? No. Unquestionably, no. The answer is no. We've already discussed this. I'm not suggesting that Anthony Davis was this, uh, you know, savior because he didn't come in and save the franchise. Like, he made us better, of course, but he didn't come in and, you know, win all these playoff series or and, you know, get us in championship contention despite him being one of the top ten players from a talent perspective in the NBA. Now, there are a variety of reasons for that, uh, some partly AD, some, you know, a lot partly the team put around them, some coaching. There's so many reasons. You know, it's all, it's all factored in. But I thought it was crazy that he played seven years for us. He was an all-star. It's not like he flopped, right? It's not like we drafted him one overall and he was this big bust. I get that fans are upset with how he left. I get that how fans are upset with, you know, we should have accomplished more. But it's not like Anthony Davis, from an individual perspective, flopped in New Orleans. And it's also not like, you know, could he have been more of a vocal leader or a charitable contributor in New Orleans and treated the city better? Maybe, yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't like a, a, a Drew Holiday. He wasn't like a Cam Jordan or Drew Brees. Yeah, I get that. But um, at the same time, he still, you know, he also, nothing really bad happened when he was here. Like, he didn't, you know, get arrested. He wasn't like this big bust he played really well. He was an all-star for several years. And, you know, he was here for seven years. And people loved AD when he was, when he was here. Um, so I just thought that the lack of tribute video was really uh, kind of – I keep using the word overkill to the uh, – you mentioned just now, like, don't harp on the past. Uh, I thought that that was kind of harping on the past and not, like – I don't know. Yeah, I guess you could make the argument that the tribute video would be harping on the past. It's all about the past. But I did think he deserved a tribute video. I didn't get mad at the fans for booing him with the way they left out. Like, I didn't really care about that. Like, you don't care about this. I was apathetic towards that. But the tribute video, gosh, I mean, he, we could have made a great tribute video because he had so many highlights here in New Orleans. Um, I mean, there's just so many that I can just think of for Anthony Davis that I thought at the very minimum, maybe it could have eased the tension. And maybe because he did at least back the New Orleans fan base when he said that it wasn't racially motivated. I thought that despite, you know, there being bad blood and despite both parties kind of circling this game on their calendar, I, I just, I don't know. I thought it was a little petty by us not to do the tribute video after everything AD's done for us on the court. I think uh, maybe they're waiting for his uh, farewell post because he never, yeah, he never maybe. gave it. I, I guess I, I don't, so. I don't. I, I mean, I guess like I see what you're saying. I mean, I think they probably should have acknowledged it. I don't know if some of that is is obviously the fan base was ready to boo him well before the game started, so maybe that was part of it. Was sort of uh, I don't know, like deferring to our fans and how they felt about it. I don't know. I mean, I think they probably should have made more of a production out of it. He did, he did serve his time here and he did ask out in the middle of the season, you know, I, I, and going back to all this, I don't want to resurrect this whole conversation for too long, but 
I did feel like he kind of mailed it in at the beginning of the season last season. Oh, like, yeah. I didn't think he was ever really fully invested. But what and about I think the other we, six years, though? Well, I, I thought he was. I, I thought he played hard. I think he he had a lot of injuries and stuff like that. I don't see yeah. that as him necessarily being like a a wuss or anything. Like he just might be dinged up a lot. Like that that happens to professional athletes. So I think he. I think he. Like okay, so. I love Drew Holiday. Like, Drew Holiday has been, like, I've been all in on Drew Holiday from the start. So, um, at least as, like, rooting for him. So, Davis was never really like that for me. I, Davis was hard to root for. And I, and I don't mean that because he's a bad person or anything. Like, I just, he was harder for me to buy in, like, I don't that know. That he really wants it. to be here. That he really well, loved it here. It, I it wasn't even that. It just like there was something about him where like it was harder for me to buy in than someone like Drew, someone like Zion, and and now someone like Ingram for me. And I don't I don't know what it was, uh, but I de- I never disliked him. I never thought he was a bad guy or anything like that. He's he always just, just quiet. I mean, he was he, always just kind of out of the limelight. It was frustrating that he got hurt often, and he ended up actually hurting his shoulder in the game, which is kind of ironic, but. Uh, we'll get to the game later, of course, but I, I just, or in a moment, I should say. But yeah, no, I get what you're saying. He was kind of always more of a Robin here as opposed to a Batman, and we kind of wanted him to be a Batman. He was terrific on the court. I don't think anyone can really dispute that here. I mean, he had great years in New Orleans, but now it kind of makes sense for him. I mean, that's one of the main reasons it made sense for him to go to L.A. because LeBron is unquestionably that Batman, and Anthony Davis fits perfectly as a Robin. I mean, he's the ideal Robin, and and but yeah, like you're saying, it made it tough to really not tough to root for him. I and mean, we of course we rooted for AD, but tough to like treat him like a, a like a Drew Brees, I should say, in New Orleans. You know what I'm saying? Like where ev- you like you know you're behind him thick and thin no matter what. And but Anthony Davis really didn't have that uh, that that kind of it factor here in New Orleans. But at the same time, I thought the tribute video, I, I mean, we could have filled up a tribute video of great highlights for him. And I don't know. I just thought it might have been nice for the team to do it. I know a lot of fans probably listening to this right now hate me for saying it. and But I don't know. I just thought it was even more petty of us not to at least give him recognition for six really strong years of service here in, in New Orleans. So, um, But what do you think about the booze? What did you... Let's. I, I want to put. I want to phrase this question to you. If you were at the game, Michael, would you have uh, engaged in the booze with the, the majority of the rest of the crowd? Would you have uh, cheered, you know, giving him respect, or would you kind of just sat there? I would have sat there, but that's more because same, of how I same here. <laughs> that's just no, how I am. Like I don't yeah. watch games. Like the guy, I don't watch. I was actually getting, and we should get to this in a second. I was getting animated during the Lakers game in a way that I typically don't. Um, but yeah, I just kind of sit there most of the time and I mutter under my breath. So like, it's not like that's usual for me. So like, I yeah, it's just different. I'm not normal. No, yeah, I I felt like, you know, I mean, there's two sides obviously to balance here. Like, I didn't like the way he left, so I'm not going to. And we when we just talked about why he wasn't like, you know, living up to. I guess, hero status here. So I wasn't going to go ahead and, because of the way he left, I wasn't going to cheer him. I would have watched a tribute video and appreciated it if they had one, but I wasn't going to actually act, actively clap there uh, and cheer his time here. But at the same time, I also wouldn't have participated in the booze either. Um, not that, you know, I think they're totally unwarranted and like Pelicans fans shouldn't have booed him. Like, I get it. Like, he left on bad terms. But 
I don't know. I don't know if I would have done it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have booed. That's for sure. I, I and I, I don't love it. I, I don't hate it. I understand why people are upset because of. Hey, the I like the passion is. though. I actually yeah, respect it's, the it's passion. Like New Orleans Pelicans fan base, honestly, quite frankly, I mean, hasn't been that great over the years, and you know, lacking in numbers. I know Zion Williamson's going to help that. I know David Griffin's going to help that, and and if we keep winning, of course, it's going to help that. But New Orleans has always been a football city and New Orleans, Pelicans have kind of been second there. And I'm like, I, that's one thing I liked about the booze is that I actually really liked seeing the passion. Um, Cause when I was watching the videos and kind of watching it live and just hearing the booze, I was just like, man, I mean, that's at least everyone's kind of unified, right? I mean, at least all the right. Pelicans fans are passionate about this, passionate about something, even if it's, even if it's borderline petty and if it's, if it's, if it's kind of, talking about the past like at least they're passionate about something at least there's people in the seats yeah i'm just ready i'm ready to be done with it honestly well then let's be done with it and let's go on to the actual thing that mattered this all happened before this game so you can kind of get a feel for this is not just a this is not just a regular typical regular season game like this is dating back to the summer so a lot happened before the game um and there was kind of there was also an emotional scene. Uh, uh, Derek Favors lost his mother, so it was a moment of silence there. So now uh, I, I think we should definitely get into the game. Um, I, I don't even know where to start. Where, where do you think we should start? I mean, the Lakers outscored the Pels 35-21 in the fourth quarter. Uh, Anthony Davis was obviously sensational. Drew was sensational as well. Uh, Brandon Ingram shot 4-21, but he had a lot of free throws and – uh, 10 boards, uh, we had 20 turnovers, and they outproduced us in the paint 62-26. to 26. This was all uh, from Andrew Lopez's tweet, which kind of summed up the statistical aspect of the game. Uh, but my point of all this is, where do you want to start? I mean, there's just so many things even in this game that we can talk about. Uh, I, I would want to start by, like, the way that I went into this game was, again, we talk about the NBA schedule. Like, you're not you're not always beating the teams you should beat and you're not always losing to the teams that you should lose to. Like this is a better team. Like the Lakers are just a way better team than we are. And I think that should have been the expectation going in. So I think, okay. I think because it was charged with a lot of emotion, like I, I think that people are reacting in a way that, you know, sometimes can be, I don't know. Like I think it just, it, it discolors. Yeah, yeah. It like, and it also takes like, Oh, Drew missed that dunk. And that was a, a big reason why we lost. Drew was by far our best player in that game. And I, like, I don't want to discredit him because he made one play because Davis was behind him waiting to block his shot. Like that's why he missed that dunk. So yeah. I, but I would say like when I honestly, man, like one of the things that stood out to me is as soon as I started walking, watching, I was just sitting there thinking, Holy crap. They're so big. Like they just are such a big team. Like they have, JaVale, Davis, and LeBron is are the three. Yeah, and they have Dwight Howard off the bench. So, like, this is a gigantic team. And, like, what they do with that is they have basically, no matter what happens, they're athletic. And so, like, let's just say Davis is defending the perimeter. Then that means JaVale is sitting there guarding the rim. If JaVale steps out, that means Davis is. And LeBron's playing free free safety through all of this. So, like, they are – 20 turnovers happen for a reason. Like, that team – is just built to like intimidate you. I mean, they're not they're not the defense they were earlier in the season. I think they were like second or third for a while. Um, they're closer to tenth now. But 
you know, given what we are bad at, which is we don't right now, our front court is just super shallow because of favors injury and, and Zion. Well, not injury. I'm sorry. I should say the favors mother passing away. That was um, so big, by the way, not having favors for this game was yeah, massive. How do you think that affected the Pelicans? I think one of the main things is strength. Like Jackson Hayes still hasn't filled out. And then Dwight Howard is trimmed down, but he's still sort of a monster in terms of like how strong he is. And, and so is, I mean, JaVale's not necessarily as strong as someone like Dwight Howard, but there's just a lot of size and, and we don't have the front court to handle it. So, you know, it, you know, I'm, I'm glad favors took off for him, obviously, you know, best of, you know, luck to him and his just like emotionally recovering from that. Cause that's, that's terrible. Um, yeah. I but, couldn't like, tell if he, did yeah. he take off the game because of uh, his mother's passing or yeah, was that's, it an that's injury, my understanding. Still injury related? Okay. No, I, I'm, it's my understanding. And I, I think and I mean, that's that stuff like that. That's yeah. Fine. And I know Lonzo should. ball also had an illness. So you're right. missing Derek favors. You're missing Lonzo ball and you're missing Zion Williamson. And it's still worth noting. We haven't even mentioned it yet. The Pelicans had, were leading through the majority of the game. I mean, Davis was putting on a clinic. I mean, there's no – you can say what you want about Anthony Davis. If you're listening to this, you can hate Anthony Davis with all the fibers of your being. But you can't deny the fact that Davis was dominating us in the beginning of this game. and Or I should say throughout, honestly, but especially in the first half. He drew up four fouls on Okafor, who really had just no chance in heck covering Davis. And he was just absolutely phenomenal. It was vintage, like prime Anthony Davis. And you could tell that he was amped for this game. And But despite Anthony Davis's success, and I would even say utter dominance in the first half, the Pelicans led throughout pretty much the entire first half and through the third quarter, really. We didn't really... The Lakers really didn't take a lead, I think, until like seven minutes left or six minutes left in the fourth. Yeah, and I don't want to go on a rant about it, but I think this is one of the things that bothers me about, I guess, narrative building is that sometimes when you're ahead by a whole lot, the assumption is that you blew the game because of something that you weren't continuing to do. And and most of the time, I would say it's chalked up to poor effort, right? They say, well, if you're up by this much and then you don't execute the rest of the game, it's either a coaching error or it's effort or something like that. From the very from the get go, the, the Pelicans went out to a pretty big lead, right? And they're doing it versus the Lakers starters largely. So, like if you're looking at the first quarter, we were up by 13 points, and a lot of that in the first half, especially, was really just tied to the fact that we were making every three. Like we were shooting like 50% from three, and we took something, some crazy amount. Like it might have been 33s in the first half. Like that's not if you're up by whatever points, like and all of your points are coming from threes and you're shooting at an unsustainable percentage, like you're at some point that's not going to continue. Like it might not go, you might not start missing every shot, but you're not going to continue shooting at that rate. So like to me, it was almost inevitable that they would wind up coming back. And, and ultimately, as much as Davis destroyed us, it was actually Davis was a minus six on the day. And I'm not going to say that Davis isn't a great player and that he didn't contribute to, you know, at least a part of their success last night, but it wasn't like when Davis was on the court that, that we were the ones suffering so much. It was really Davis and, and almost no one versus the Pelicans, like for a while, because they were just letting Davis get whatever shots he wants. Um, I would say that I think that it was the bench units that uh, that didn't do very well. I mean, so if you're looking at all the bench players, the Pelicans who got minutes, so like Josh Hart was minus 24, um, Etwan Moore is minus 12, Nicola Melli was minus 12. Frank Jackson was minus 11. Now, a lot, three of those four guys, so Hart had a lot of minutes, but Moore, Melli, and Jackson were really only in for a very small stretch of time. 
And so in my mind, it was really that our bench didn't perform and that they didn't they didn't hold the lead. And that's okay. I, I'm not like I'm not trying to like criticize anybody, but I think that's why we lost. Like it's not because Drew Holiday missed a dunk or whatever. Like our shooting fell off from a blazing hot hot start, and then you know a better team wound up winning. Like that's it's that simple to me. Yeah, this game had a little bit of everything that we kind of expected going into the season. I thought it was a great kind of microcosm of the Pelican season here. They had a bunch of lead changes. Uh, or I shouldn't say a bunch, but towards the end they did. Uh, Anthony Davis got nicked up, of course, which I already spoke about, which was kind of uh, just kind of ironic and really interesting uh, for the game. Uh, even LeBron got shaken up a bit, uh, I think, uh, on one specific, specific play. Uh, they had great individual performances from the stars. I mean, Drew Holiday was awesome. LeBron was awesome. Anthony Davis was incredible. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we had the Pelicans choking it away at the end. And I know that um, you're saying that it was unsustainable, but it seems like kind of a typical narrative here that we've come to expect this season where the Pelicans are playing playing these teams hard and playing them well despite their depth issues, despite their injury issues. Uh, but despite all that, it it seems like the Pelicans couldn't close. And I know that you know, this is a 48-minute game. I know that there are other reasons for it. You just mentioned the bench. But there were pivotal plays in this in this ESPN televised game. I mean, the, the Drew Holiday missed dunk comes to mind. J.J. Redick missing that three uh, late in the game when he was wide open. That comes to mind to me. And uh, the inbounds play, obviously, when we were down two uh, with six seconds left. That obviously wasn't ideal. We had a timeout to spare and still turned it over to, of course, none other than AD. And uh, But I, I think the most interesting play of the entire game wasn't even one of those, the, the pivotal plays that affected the game. Uh, the play that kind of got me kind of riled up was uh, the Jackson Hayes when he attempted to throw down on Anthony Davis. What, what did you think of that? Yeah, it got me pretty excited, but I, I was sad that that it didn't wind up yeah, in a dunk. It was uh, it was it would have been really awesome, yeah, uh, if that had happened. But one of it, the Pelicans it, beat yeah. writers posted a a poll on Twitter, and I forgot who it was, but I thought it was a really creative idea. It was, uh, what what would you rather have? This was after the attempted dunk took place. Would you rather have that dunk went go down, you know, posterizing AD, or would you rather get the win tonight? And the the results were like fifty fifty, like. <laughs> Which, I would have taken the dunk. Yeah, yeah really? See, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I would have really taken the win, that. but I just thought, I mean, that just kind of shows a small sample size with us too, of course, but it just kind of shows that it's a really interesting poll because half the people just wanted to lay it uh, into AD and get that revenge <laughs> right there, and the other half, you know, cared about the win more. But, uh, no, it would have been awesome. I probably would have taken the win in that poll, but it would have been awesome either way uh, because just seeing that went down, that would have been really – epic right there and then the next time he came around maybe we could have been petty about it and done a tribute video and get of anthony davis getting posterized by jackson that that would have been funny yeah and i wanted to talk to you we, we talked about i mean like obviously what you're saying is true it's not just it's not just luck or non-luck that that wins you or loses you the game there's other factors and i think one thing that i wanted to point out is that ingram had one of his tougher games of the season and i think i think a lot of it was because like I said earlier, so Ingram gets to the rim a whole lot, and but Ingram doesn't typically face at least you know 
at least one shot blocker on the floor at all times who's just literally waiting there for him to contest his shots. Um, that's going to impact how he plays. I think he wound up taking a lot of outside shots. But yeah, two for 11 pro- from three. Yeah, I mean, so like Danny Green was defending him for a, re- a reasonable portion of that game. Danny Green is a very, very good defender. And then you have three other guys often, AD, LeBron, and whoever that other shot blocker is in the game who are all just waiting for Ingram. So, like, this is, I just, I felt like it was somewhat understandable. And again, with, like, Drew and LeBron, we talk about Drew's post defense a, a fair bit, and it's excellent versus players who we would typically expect to back down a 6'4 guard. Drew is just a, a tank. Like, he's just built really well, right. and he holds his position really well. But LeBron was, he was trying to defend LeBron because we don't have anybody to defend LeBron, nor do we have anybody to defend Davis. And so he's trying to defend LeBron, and LeBron is just bullying him. And it's like, it's, like, in a lot of ways, if you took Drew Holiday and you multiplied him, you know, like, you amplified him, like, that's who LeBron is. LeBron is so freakishly strong. Like, we had just had no answer for it. And, like, why should we? He's one of the best players to ever play. I, mean, I, I have him, like, second or third of all time. Yeah, so, Drew actually did a good job defending Anthony Davis in the post, uh, I thought. Yeah. No, he did. Uh, Davis Davis had a lot of posting possessions today. And we've talked about it um, on Twitter some uh, a lot, or I should say, we get a lot of the Pelicans Twitter knows that Davis is really, really elite in pick and roll situations. His post up is is really good, but I wouldn't necessarily say that that's what you want to be doing the entire game. And that's wound up, but wound up happening. But I would say it's a, it's a little bit of a misuse, or it kind of kills the rhythm of the offense. But um, yeah, I mean, they when Drew was defending him, I, I Drew had a couple possessions where I think Davis took these turnaround shots. Like you live with those. Like if Davis is going to make those. Unless you have someone with his length defending him, which isn't many people, like you really can't you can't bicker about it. Like that's just something you have to live with because you'd rather that than him dunking. Because if he's anywhere near the rim, he's finishing. I thought like he's just he's that good at finishing there. Yeah, I thought Drew was phenomenal on both ends of the court uh, last night, and I thought you know I agree. twenty nine points, twelve assists, six rebounds. He was twelve for twenty three. I mean, he's really picking it up offensively. I would almost say you know he started the season with a in a slump, a shooting slump, and not being pretty passive or timid offensively. Now I want to say that he's actually overreaching offensively, and I kind of expect his numbers to come down a little from an offensive perspective because that's how well he's shooting and that's how well he's playing offensively. It's like that talk that he had with Gentry just really just kind of lit him up, and he's like a completely different player now from the offensive perspective, even more so than he, you know, we were just trying to get him back to where he was in the past. Now it's he's on a run that I don't even know if we've seen this type of offensive type of run from Drew uh, since he's been a Pelican. I'd have to check the stats. I mean, I, I don't see it as like a, I don't know. I mean, he's definitely, like you're saying, he's playing really, really well yeah, right now. Out. I don't I don't know if it's, yeah, I mean, but whatever it is, like you're, you're absolutely correct in the sense that he is playing really, really good basketball and he is our best player. He, he just is. I mean, Ingram on certain nights will certainly uh, make a case against that, but just consistently uh, Drew is, is someone who impacts the game in a way that we really don't have somewhere else. I was glad that it came on ESPN, right? Because I, I think Drew Holiday doesn't get a lot of the accolades that he should as a legitimate uh, superstar in this league, and I was glad that it came on ESPN. I was watching the Saints game last night. It kind of reminded – Drew's performance on uh, Thursday kind of remind or Wednesday kind of reminded me of uh, last night when I was watching the Saints and Cam Jordan 
who also doesn't get – who's a bona fide superstar in this league, one of the best defensive players in the NFL, doesn't get a lot of the accolades from non-Saints fans, of course. And then he just had this amazing four-sack game last night. I mean, he could not be stopped. But in Drew having that game on ESPN kind of – I mean, sorry, Cam having that game kind of reminded me of Drew on ESPN because it's just like you want your stars to show up in these big-time moments. The only flaw is that – you know, Drew was able to make up for Brandon Ingram shooting 421, which is great and all, and he looked incredible. But the only flaw was he had 25 points in the first half, and he was a big reason we were still leading despite Anthony Davis's dominance. But only four points in the second half, Michael. Only four points, and you know, obviously he had the missed dunk too, which that shouldn't take away from what I think is probably one of his best games overall as a Pelican, but. It kind of speaks to a bigger picture here of the Pelicans not really really being able to close out games. And I know that we don't have Lonzo. I know we don't have Zion. And I know that we really needed Derek Favors in this game. And we probably would have won the game had we had those guys. But the Pelicans' kind of fourth quarter woes seem to be an issue here. Are you still chalking that up to a young team? Because it seemed like Drew kind of got involved in that uh, in this game as well. Well, I don't ever, I actually don't think that Drew's ever been an elite decision maker at the end of games. That's why I like having Ingram, because I think Ingram, I think Drew overthinks things. I don't think that Ingram does. I think he just knows to go out and score, and he just does it. And I just like, there's a different mode of uh, attacking, I guess I'd say. Drew is more calculated to me. Ingram is just kind of like, all right, let's see where this goes. Um, But I would say that, I don't know, man. Like, I, I think some of it's youth, like, some of it is just, look, so... The, the turnover where Caruso uh, basically saw that Kemrich got a rebound and he's trying to hand it off to Drew. And then I think Caruso, he knocked it off of Drew's hands and it wound up going to the Lakers at the end of the game. Like that stuff was incredibly frustrating, but it's also, I don't expect them to be making elite decisions at the end of the game. Like I, they're playing against, okay, so think about it perspective wise, right? So Davis is like a top five, top 10 player. LeBron's a top five, top 10 player. Um, Danny Green has had championships with multiple teams. Like this is, you're playing a team with just better overall experience and decision making. I mean, LeBron's one of the best decision makers with the ball in his hands of all time. So like, I just don't. I hate to say that. Like, I know, I feel almost like I'm cheating out analysis. But like, whenever those things happen, that's what I expect. Like, I don't expect them. And I, I don't think it was the run at the end of the game that killed us. I thought it was really the bench. I thought the fourth quarter. We just blew it in, in, a, in a sort of like really small window of time. But at the same time, that, that... didn't you kind of expect the run to happen though? Like the Pelicans were leading for the vast majority of the game. Didn't you, weren't you kind of in the fourth quarter watching this? Weren't you waiting for the Lakers to make that run? And that's what made it even more frustrating from my end. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, that the Pelicans aren't just, you know, we had like a, I, I want to say like a, it was, hovering or wavering between a four and eight point lead for the first half of the fourth quarter. And you knew if if pretty much everyone watching, I had to say, I'll just go ahead and overgeneralize here. Everyone watching kind of knew that the Pelicans were not just going to continually, you know, coast this four and eight point 
lead throughout the entire the end of the game with no you know runs from the Lakers or no drama whatsoever. Like everyone knew that the Lakers were going to make a run, and and they did. And that was the frustrating part about it is that you were just kind of hoping in the back of your mind, I don't know, maybe we can hold this lead. And, of course, we didn't. And then when they got it tied with, I think, five minutes left, um, and it did go back and forth for a bit. It's not like we just let the Lakers take over. We hung in there. But in the closing minute of the game, we just weren't able to finish, which seems to be a theme this year. And it makes me optimistic and pessimistic at the same time. It makes me pessimistic because it's like, you know, why can't we just finish, you know? And it makes me optimistic because, you know, maybe when we have our horses all healthy, that we, it, will, it won't be an issue. It will be a non-issue. But, Michael, if we were able to finish, you know, half of these games that we had leads in in the fourth quarter, then we'd be looking at, I think, three games different in our record at least. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a fair point. I actually want to correct myself, too. So Danny Green was not on the floor at the end of the game. So I was – it was actually – and I should have known this because of the steal, but it was Alex Caruso and because right. uh, I think they left him in. But anyway, so I don't I don't know, man. Like I, I, I want to – like we can go back. But like you're looking at – you're almost like you're cherry-picking like the games that we lost in the fourth quarter. You know, it's like yeah. what about the ones that we came back from? You know what I'm saying? Like it's just it, – I think that's the problem with that kind of analysis. Like I don't think – that you're wrong. I think that we are not a great fourth quarter team. Um, I have to look up the stats to justify making a more definitive. Yeah, it's just break. seeming like when we do win, you know, we have a big enough lead in the fourth quarter where it's not an issue. Now, I, I would like to go look at the schedule, and and maybe I will before our next pod and kind of get the the facts on this. But it just seems from watching the first you know 15, 16 games of the season that there's it's rarely a case where. The Pelicans are trailing by four to eight points in the fourth quarter, and we come back and win. It seems like our wins that we do have, you know, we were leading by 15 or something like that, and it just never really was an issue. It seems like close games in the fourth quarter, we find ourselves on the losing end of it, not being able to close out these games far more often than, than vice versa. Yeah, and the play that you mentioned that really frustrated me was uh, I did not like – that we only had two options on that last inbounds play right. where Davis intercepted it. Cause Davis knows that play really, really well. And I thought I, I'm not going to blame Gentry necessarily, but like, cause first of all, he, whoever had the ball, I think it was, who was, who was had the Drew. ball? I can't it remember was who Drew's inbound. Turnover. It was Drew. But Ingram blamed yeah. himself for not coming back to the ball. Cause he didn't come to the ball. Yeah. He didn't come to the ball, but I also like, it, it was it a pretty just, lazy you know, like, pass too. I thought though. It was a lazy pass, and it's just like this is a pretty critical possession. I, I would have preferred to have more things going on to where we would have had other options. Like we were, how many seconds were left? I'm trying uh, six, to recreate I think it was six point two. And and what was the score? Do you remember? We were down two. Uh, it was one ten to one twelve, I, I believe. Okay. Well, obviously, like you have limits because you you want to create a good shot in that amount of time. But I think that's enough time to where like you could have done some more things, and then just live with who who had the ball in his hands, but. It was, you know, like I'm talking about it. I'm even getting frustrated because yeah. I, I remember I saw Davis move to the ball. I was like, oh, damn it. He's going to get that ball. Yeah. And then he looked like he, he knew he the did. play or he recognized it. Oh, he least. did. He, yeah. he like as soon as, uh, you know, like uh, that initial action, it was the first action. They wanted to get the ball to Ingram on the second action. And as soon as Ingram started to move towards that second thing. Davis is like, all right, I know what this is. What the, I just literally snapped. I don't know if people heard that, but like Davis knew instantly what was going on. 
Yeah. Well, I and, couldn't tell if you yeah. meant you snap from uh, your finger perspective, which I did hear you <laughs> no. do, or if you snap from an anger perspective there. No, uh, I, probably I don't both. Think I, I, I don't guess. Think I... I'm sure a lot of Pelicans oh, right. fans uh, snap from an anger yeah. perspective there. But uh, it was it was a fun game to watch. It was on ESPN. It Just was. to kind of wrap it up here, it was on ESPN. It was fun to watch. There was a lot of buildup and even controversy going into the game. Uh, the Lakers and Pella fans have been kind of uh, feuding throughout the offseason and a little bit into the season. So it almost felt like a little bit, just because there's so familiar, so much familiarity there with, with the players involved in the trade, it almost seemed like it was a little bit of a rivalry game, which I thought was interesting. And I know the Lakers are going to have a bigger rivalry with the Clippers. I know that's going to be a thing for the next three years or however long that the AD-LeBron uh, duo last there. Um, but I thought it was kind of a mini-rivalry, and I kind of liked that, though, because uh, the Lakers seemed like they weren't treating the Pelicans like they were just some other you know, rollover team that they could just come out like you know the Kings or the Suns or the Grizzlies or whatever. This was totally different. I mean, the Lakers wanted to put on their best show. It was on ESPN, and it was, it was a really fun game to watch even though it was unfortunate that we came up on the losing end. Yeah, I agree. It was fun. And I, I like, I, I'm looking back on it. I'm even remembering, cause I, I caught this game after the fact, except for the final stretch. Like I watched it this morning and, uh, and I watched the, the initial part of it. I had just caught the last, like maybe five minutes of the game. So I was in the moment for that, but like, really like I, even watching it on replay is funny how, I, I'm more animated, and I was more animated last game than I was in a game for a long time. I know it felt like a mini playoff game. It was either a yeah. mini rivalry or a mini playoff game. I can't, maybe a little bit of both, but I, I really can't put my finger on it. But it just did not feel like a regular uh, or a typical regular season game for you know two NBA teams that really, other than this, uh, you know, had no business before this year, really had no business hating each other, but now it's just totally different. And I think that's something that they can get the Pell fans into the Pelicans is, is if we develop a little tiny rivalry with the Lakers, or if we do push for the playoffs and maybe the Lakers are the number one seed, and maybe we're trying to get that eighth seed and that would be awesome, right? I mean, that would be so incredible if the, if that ended up happening where we ended up making the eighth seed and the Lakers are the one, even if we got swept, it would still be really uh, entertaining, I should say, and it would kind of set up the future there. I think it would honestly be kind of the best case for the Pelicans to end up playing the Lakers in the playoffs because I think it would really motivate and and drive a lot of uh, fanship to this fan base. I like that idea. I don't, I don't love the idea of losing to the Lakers in the playoffs. I think I would be very bitter about that. I would much rather lose to the Clippers. Yeah, um, I guess I'm just seeing big picture. I, I, I guess I just no, want it's the New smarter. Orleans because Zion got hurt and it kind of took a little air out of the tires. You know, when we, when we had all of this passion gear, gearing up towards the Pelican season, and now because we are started, what are we six and twelve now? Yeah, we're I think we're at six and twelve now. And with Zion's injury, Derek Favors' injury, now it, it seems to be like people were losing steam on the Pelicans, but this Lakers game really kind of picked it back up. Like people are back into it now. Even like the most casual Pelicans fans who, you know, some of my friends, you know, were watching this game and, you know, I didn't expect them to be because, you know, at this point, a lot of 6 and 12 teams, a lot of fans just kind of start tuning out, you know. 
Well, and I want to say one more thing before we wrap up here, because I think it's important. So you and I both said before the stretch of games that it was not altogether unlikely that we'd walk out without a single win right. with the Jazz, Clippers, and Lakers. And that happened. Like, this is the problem with false expectations. Like, if you don't, if you aren't ready for that, you're going to go off the rails. And if that's the way that you want your fan experience to be, then that's, you know, that there's nothing wrong with that. But, like, if you want to be ready, like, we're about to face a much better stretch of games. So we're playing... OKC twice, the Mavericks who are who are probably better but beatable, Suns who are beatable, the Mavericks again who are beatable, the Pistons who are beatable. Um, like this is a stretch of games where it's that's I think six games that I just rattled off. Yeah. Like we could we could win a decent bit of those games. So like and they're important. Go games into it because yeah. Oklahoma City Thunder are I think they're six and eleven. They're one a half game ahead of us in the Western Conference standings, and the Mavs are probably going to make the playoffs. That's fine, but the Suns probably. again yeah. are exactly. Uh, we had this exact conversation two weeks ago on a pod two episodes ago where the Suns were sitting where we wanted to be at that eighth seed, and here they are again. I think now they're was they right? They're eight and nine, I believe, and we are still. I think we're two point five games behind eighth seed, despite being on a three game losing streak to, like you said, three really really good teams, and we're still in contention. I mean, if we can beat the thunder twice and then if we win three of the next four games let's say we drop the Mavs and beat the thunder twice and beat the suns i mean especially if we beat the suns all of a sudden we might even be in the eighth seed you know like if that act if we win three of our next four and one of those games is the suns game we literally might be either eighth or ninth seed so it can turn around quickly just like we had a three-game win streak Going into this, um, going into this brutal West stretch with the Jazz, the Clippers, and the Lakers, we had a three-game streak going into it. And now we're on a three-game losing streak, so now we need to turn around again. It can happen quickly. Yep, I think it might. I think really the the goal would be we could probably have about eight games before Zion comes back. I mean, if you can go five hundred and stay within a couple, you know, like just a couple games of the A seed. And then our schedule gets progressively easier throughout the year. This is not a surprise. This is something that guy Ed Cooper tweeted before the season even started he said look like it's he put together a graphic with all the teams and you could tell how easy it was for the pelicans on the back stretch of this season and how hard it was on the front end like this is not a surprise let's hang in there if it continues to be bad and and we don't we, we fall out of contention then okay whatever but like let's Let's not panic yet. It's not It's not time to do that. I want to, before we sign off, I want to give props to the Bleacher Report article. I'm blanking on the author's name. I believe you know it. Miriam uh, uh, Fodder. Yeah. She, I hope I'm saying her name right. I hope I'm not. Yeah. No, I didn't but, know how to yeah. pronounce it either. But she did. She did an incredible kind of... Um, maybe maybe not editorial is the right word to call it. But it was, it was kind of a feature piece on Brandon Ingram. And it was really well-written, and it was obviously well-researched. She clearly spent a lot of time with Ingram uh, just kind of following his blood clot issue last season with the Lakers after he'd come off a good stretch. And both you and I retweeted it, and I kind of wanted to give a shout-out to her and say, you know, if you want to find that article, you can find either of us on Twitter at Mike underscore Pelicans. I'm at Fantasy Law Guy. And we both felt the need to retweet it because it's just a really nice come up story um, about Brandon Ingram and how he was. We've been wondering, Michael, and we've been wondering how has he been able to uh, get so much better at basketball, to put it blankly, in the last year. And she kind of touches on a lot of that in his personality and they talk about how they're at a nice uh, at Landry's in New Orleans and 
talk about how he's fitting in with the New Orleans crowd. So what do you think of the article? I, I thought it was phenomenal. I, again, I apologize if I'm saying her last name incorrectly, but she really did do an awesome piece. It was just a really good story. Like, And it was funny, too. It was right alongside all that garbage with the racism in New Orleans and right. stuff like, it was like that. A and it was such a yeah. It really was. And like I, I was really and, and again, like Shelburne is actually a really good reporter. So like that was what kind of made it weird to me. Um that's not a common thing for her. But like that, you know, that thing was obviously way out of bounds. And at the same time, you know, Mirren writes this article about Ingram that shows who Ingram is and what he went through with his blood cot reco- recovery and it was just an awesome piece. Like I'd I don't often read stuff and get really uh, invested in it. You know, it it takes a really good story for me to be like, okay, I'm I'm in this, not just like reading it and processing it, but like really buying into like the person that they're developing in the story. And I I just thought it was a really good article. Yeah, it's normally exciting. we're skimming stuff, or you know, we're at work or something, and we just see an article and it's a long piece, and we're just skimming stuff for the highlights. Basically, that's just kind of how social media and the internet works now like everything like we feel like our time is so important and we're just skimming through so much material like all the time especially if you're a sports fan i mean you're constantly just scrolling and looking for new updates and looking for new uh interesting nuggets that you can find on players and knowledge there it's rare that you actually sit down and read an entire article that's going to take you 20 25 minutes to read which it doesn't sound like a lot but it is a lot i mean that's a lot of time to put into an article and I read the whole thing. I mean, I, I was, uh, I, don't, I don't want to say I was blown away by it, but it was really, it was really a touching article and I liked it a lot. Yeah, it was great. And that's a perfect way to end the podcast because that was way happier than yeah, I all think some stuff. of the stuff that we talked about. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. It, it was a, it was a great episode. I was really glad that this Lakers game happened despite the loss, just because it was, I mean, it was intense. It was really interesting and I'm looking forward to playing them again, getting a little uh, revenge now. Uh, hopefully Zion will be, back and ready for that game and hopefully favors everyone will be healthy but yeah that has to wrap up this week's episode uh thank you so much for tuning in to the pelicans cast the official pelicans podcast for hoopball.com in flight insight for the sharpest pella fans hey as a reminder if you like what you heard today please subscribe to this podcast and give us a five five star rating on itunes or whatever your podcast provider is uh you can follow Mike Pelichet on Twitter at Mike underscore Pelicans. And you can go to his Twitter to check out that Brandon Ingram article he's been referring to. Uh, You can also check out hoopball.com for all NBA and fantasy basketball needs. See you next week. This has been a HoopBall presentation. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.